You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. It's time for another edition of the Chicago Bears podcast, Bears Banter, powered by Windy City Gridiron and SB Nation. Bill Zimmerman with you, and this is our first off-season podcast of the year. If you don't count the first one where we just kind of rehash the season, this is our first true off-season podcast. We've got a good one coming up. We're going to speak with Riley Ridley, Bears wide receiver here in a few minutes, and the new Hall of Famer, Jimbo Covert is also going to be coming along here. So plenty to get to in this podcast. So before we get to the guests, we've actually got a lot of Bears news to get to as well. So let me react to a little bit of that before Riley hops aboard here. And let's start with the new faces to the Chicago Bears, to Matt Nagy's coaching staff, that being Bill Lazor and John DeFilippo. So let's start with Lazor here. Let's start with the Ragone piece, and, and then we'll get to DeFilippo and, and what this all might mean, because the focus on all this is going to be the quarterback situation. Now, we know Juan Castillo was brought aboard as the offensive line coach. He's going to be heavily involved in fixing this run game. This is not just going to be a line coach who's working on technique with the offensive lineman. He is going to be... In put in a place to fix this Chicago Bears running game, a running game that has not done well for two consecutive seasons with Matt Nagy, something that I think Matt Nagy knows is not his strong point. Now, he's going to be a pretty pass-happy coach. That's just how his system is going to work. But he also knows the importance of the ground game, also knows that it is not clicking for the Chicago Bears. So Juan Castillo is going to be involved in, in making a, a better scheme for this Chicago Bears, hopefully that fits the offensive line better. Hopefully that that can really utilize Montgomery and his skills and hopefully get some balance to the offense because obviously we know we need a good run game and a good passing game to have a quality offense. And the Chicago Bears obviously did not have either last season. So they need to improve a lot on the offensive side of the football. Juan Castillo handles the, the running game. But, but let's focus on what changes happened this week. Let's start with Bill Lazor, the new offensive coordinator. This one really came out of nowhere. Pat Shermer, it really seemed like the Bears were trying to get something done with him. I always thought Shermer was a bit of a long shot because you got two things going on there with Shermer. First one, you know Matt Nagy's going to call the plays. Now, I know a lot of Bears fans go, oh, well, Matt Nagy should give up play calling. No, no, he shouldn't. Let's let's slow down here before we, we scrutinize every little thing Matt Nagy has done here. And, you know, no one was complaining really about the play calling two years ago. Yeah, sure, there were that wasn't perfect. But no one was really complaining about it here. Do we, I don't think we should think that Matt Nagy has lost his ability to think through a football game. This is the same guy that when he called plays for the last five games for the Kansas City Chiefs, 
Chiefs with Alex Smith was averaging over 400 yards of offense. So Matt Nagy can call a game. I'm not concerned about that. That's his offense. This is his team. If he wants to call plays, I don't have a problem with it. But Shermer, not only was he not going to be able to call plays, think about it. Clearly, Dave Ragone was going to be staying. Charles London, they hadn't made any moves with the, with the running back coach. They had already hired Juan Castillo. Fury, the wide receiver coach, he's a good friend of Matt Nagy. They, they were teammates way back when. Fury, especially with Allen Robinson's season and how Miller came on, Fury wasn't going anywhere either. So suddenly you say, hey, Pat, you want to come and be the offense coordinator? You're not going to call plays, and you're really not going to be able to hire anyone on a coaching staff either. So what, what, what do you say? Shermer's, Shermer's going to want full autonomy. Shermer wants an offense. And he was going to get plenty of options to do that. And it looks like he did with the Denver Broncos. Vic Fangio gives him the keys to the offense. There was a lot of talk that the Giants also really liked Drew Locke. That obviously was coming from Pat Shermer in the draft last year. So that that Broncos fit with Shermer makes plenty of sense. So Shermer was always a bit of a long shot, but I really do think the Bears were trying to make something work there and just couldn't get it done. So the laser thing... Pretty much Brad Biggs puts it in a in an article, and a few hours later, suddenly the reports are that Lazer's hired and is the next offensive coordinator. That, that one was a little bit out of left field. I don't think really anyone saw that coming. He wasn't in football last year. But the hire makes sense. It's not going to get eyeballs. It's not It's not going to be exciting. The hire makes a lot of sense. Lazer, he, he uses a heavy RPO offense. Now, the one thing I really like about Lazer is he likes to pick up the tempo. He likes to score kind of in bunches and, and try and pick up big yards. That's something the Bears offense sorely lacked last year. We did not see a lot of big chunk yardage plays. So hopefully Laser can, can help with that. Hopefully he can tweak the RPOs and some of the, the situations that the Bears offense were in that just they really struggled in. So I think the Laser hire is someone who thinks similarly to Nagy, where hopefully he can tweak some things that Nagy wants to do and improve upon them. So it makes a lot of sense to me. It's, it's not going to be exciting. But I have no problems with that hire. Now, now Dave Ragone, on the other hand, a lot of people are sitting there going, Dave Ragone, how does he not lose his job as quarterback coach with the way Mitch Trubisky played last season? Dave Ragone was at a position with this Bears offense that he was far beyond a, a quarterback coach. Dave Ragone was a play designer. Dave Ragone would sit there in the room with Matt Nagy. They would design plays. Ragone would came up with a lot of plays. Adam Johns, I believe, was the one who, who tweeted out that Ragone's plays were the ones that really seemed to perform even better last season than some of the plays that Nagy was drawing up. So Ragone was really well-respected. Nagy really liked having his, his brain available and, and picking his brain. So there was really... Yeah, the quarterback was a struggle, but that was a, a struggle for every coach. I mean, Helfrich and, and Heastand are gone because the run game was so poor. Matt Nagy was putting it upon himself to fix the passing game. He likes Ragone. He wants to keep Ragone in the room. He wanted to tweak the room. That's why Bill Lazor is in. And then the hire that I think a lot of people are excited about is John Filippo, who as an offensive coordinator, can leave a lot to be desired. In fact, he's been an offensive coordinator, I believe, four times now, and all four times he has not made it to year two as an offensive coordinator. That is alarming. That's not what you want to see, but as a quarterback coach, he has had a lot of success. Now, the first thing people are going to say, being that he was in Jacksonville last year, is, well, that makes a lot of sense. 
that Nick Foles is going to be the next quarterback of the Chicago Bears. And look, he may be, but I have a lot of concerns about Nick Foles. And I don't necessarily think that having Flip in here means that we are going to be seeing Nick Foles in a Chicago Bears uniform because keep keep in mind, Nick Foles went down with an injury. He was not good before that injury. Gardner Minshew comes in. Of course, he gets the little cult icon status. And then Nick Foles comes back. We see him briefly, and they decide to bench him for Minshew because Nick Foles was not playing well. So I don't know, just because Flip was with Foles last year, if he's going to sit there and go... Nick Foles is who you need to bring in because he saw pretty much the worst of Nick Foles. He saw what the problems were with Nick Foles. And as the quarterback, or as I'm sorry, as the offensive coordinator, he didn't fix them. So I don't think there's a lock that that's going to happen. But you do notice one thing with a lot of these coaches that have been in here. They have worked with a lot of quarterbacks that potentially could be available. We see the laser connection with the Bengals, with Andy Dalton. We see the Nick Foles connection with Flip. We see a connection to Alex Smith, if he's healthy, doubtful, but if he's healthy, with Matt Nagy. We see a connection to Ryan Tannehill. Again, doubtful that he gets gets away from the Titans, especially being that they're in the AFC Championship game. But, again, you're seeing these connections, which to me makes a lot of sense that you're bringing in a coach who has familiarity with a quarterback who also has familiarity with Nagy's system, who can be a guy who can help this quarterback pick up Nagy's system. Like, let's say Andy Dalton is the guy that they bring in to compete with Mitch Trubisky. Andy Dalton is going to need to pick up a complicated system with Matt Nagy's system and pick it up in a hurry. So having a guy like Bill Lazor that understands what Nagy wants to do, Dalton, who's done an RPO-heavy offense, and really kind of help his brain jump aboard and grab hold of Matt Nagy's offense, that makes a lot of sense. So you can see what the coaches are doing and what the Bears are doing with this coaching staff. Now, the one thing I've heard, which I could not disagree with more, is that the clearly the Bears are tweaking this coaching staff to go all in on Mitch Trubisky. Like Flip. Flip is the guy who fixes quarterbacks. Bill Lazor is a guy who likes to go up-tempo. We've seen Trubisky have success with up-tempo. So I see why people are connecting the dots and saying this is these are Trubisky hires. But at the same time, Flip is a guy who's come in in a lot of places. They've brought in a, you know, a significant quarterback with him for him to, to coach up. So I still don't think the Bears are all in on Mitch Trubisky. I'm still pretty confident that the Bears, if the Bears have an opportunity to get a very good quarterback, I think the Bears will absolutely go for that quarterback. Drew Brees, if somehow the Saints say we're going Bridgewater and we're going Hill, sorry, sorry, Drew. If Cam Newton is healthy, if if a quarterback like that, if the Raiders decide to move on from Derek Carr, if one of these quarterbacks is available, those quarterbacks will not compete with Mitch Trubisky, and I don't think the Bears will hesitate to bring them in if they can make it work. Now, you talk about guys like Andy Dalton, you talk about guys like Case Keenum. Yeah, if that's who they end up getting because we don't know what's going to happen with these quarterbacks yet, then sure, Mitch Trubisky's going to be on the roster. Mitch Trubisky and, and quarterback X will have, have a competition. But I think Mitch Trubisky is actually going to be starting behind the eight ball. I don't think the job is necessarily going to be Mitch Trubisky's to lose. I think the job's going to be pretty much 50-50, maybe even 51-49 to the new sheriff in town. 
I don't think the Bears are very convinced with Mitch Trubisky at all. We talked about the fact that Ryan Pace in the post uh, postseason press conference said that he would not commit to the fifth-year option with Mitch Trubisky, that they weren't there yet. What was also pretty eye-popping to me was Matt Nagy, when, when, talked about, when he was talking about what Mitch needs to fix, he pretty much listed everything. He said he wants him to be able to read defense better. He wants him to get through his progressions quicker. He wants him to work on being more consistent in, 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 like in confidence. And there was so many things where you sit there, well, is that all, Matt? I think Matt Nagy is clearly trying to put out there that Mitch Trubisky is not where he wants him to be. He has serious doubts about Mitch Trubisky. I think if you sat Matt Nagy down at a bar and had a few beers with him and had an honest moment with him, he'd tell you Mitch Trubisky's not the guy. But Matt Nagy is still going to do things how the Bears do things, and that is be very vague, not give too many specifics, and definitely not commit one way or the other. So I know a lot of fans are panicking about the, the, the Mitch Trubisky situation. A lot of fans aren't sure exactly what these coach hires mean. Basically what these coach hires mean is that Matt Nagy recognizes that the offense was broken last year and he's going to fix it any way possible. And Ryan Pace recognizes that the offense is broken. So while Matt Nagy's bringing in the coaches, we're going to see what Ryan Pace is going to do with that personnel here in, in what, about two months? Because that's going to be critical for the Chicago Bears as well. Because it doesn't matter how many coaches you bring in and what you can do. If you don't have play out of the quarterback, this is all lipstick on a pig. So a lot of things still are going to happen here this offseason. We're going to see some new faces. We're going to see some old faces let go. A lot is going to happen, and we are just at the tip of the iceberg, just scratching the surface here. So let's take a break. I know we said we were going to speak with Riley Ridley, but he's running a couple minutes late. So let's, uh, let's take a break. We'll talk with Jimbo Covert, the newest Hall of Fame member, Chicago Bears left tackle, 1980s, early 90s. He will join us next on Bears Banter. We'll be right back. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right. Welcome back as we continue the podcast. And very excited here for our next guest. He is the newest member of the Hall of Fame. A great Chicago Bear, Super Bowl champion, all pro, Hall of Famer, all those great things. He joins us now. Jimbo Covert joins us. Jim, Bill Zimmerman, how are you? Hi, Bill. I'm doing great this morning. How are you? I'm doing very well. And and let me let me start start with the the call and the process here. When when you knew about this this you know the Centennial Hall of Fame and how they're going to do this thing a little bit differently, uh, you know, did you the process leading up to it? Did you think maybe you had had a good chance here? And then give me the emotions when you actually received the call that you made the Hall of Fame. Yeah, I think the process is really what. Um, really kind of you know when i saw that i thought maybe i had a little bit better chance than years prior to that because of the process and who's involved in it because as you know before you know you get the senior committee which which uh really scrutinizes a lot of candidates but i mean a lot of candidates there's you know a hundred of them right or more so um so they and to whittle it down to you know two seniors every other year it's a very difficult process so the the you know the senior pool is so big and to just try to get two guys out 
was very difficult. And then just, you know, that process that they, you know, go through, so that, you know, it's like 48, it was like senior, senior committee, then like 48 writers. So you, your career really is, um, you know, it's, it's really being evaluated by really just sports writers. So this, this committee was a lot different, right? And I'm not saying sports writers are a bad thing. I'm just saying that they had coaches, um, ex-players, ex-personnel guys, and writers. So, you know, Dan felt like that was a good forum for my career and the people appreciate it and saw me play. And when I saw that, we both felt like we had a better audience with some people that might have a little bit better understanding of the impact that I have with the Bears. And and uh, I was really lucky that, uh, you know, came out of that thing because there was a lot of guys that they scrutinized. So I was happy about that. Yeah, no, and it, it's a well-deserved honor. And Dan Pompey, who's who's done a really you got Brian Urlacher in on the first ballot, even though everyone said it wouldn't happen with Ray Lewis there, got you and Ed Sprinkle, obviously long long overdue for for someone like him that had such a great impact in the '40s. But for for you personally, and I know some players say they think about the Hall of Fame of the other all the time. You know that, that once they're retired, others say that you know they can't do anything about it so they don't worry about it for you who you really haven't gotten close in the traditional process has it been frustrating for you i think so i think when people say that they don't think about it um i i don't i'm not i don't think that's necessarily true you think about it but there comes a time you know after about you know 15 16 17 years of just getting you know disappointed year in and year out and you know not even you know get, being on the preliminary list and then you know not making it to the semifinals of 25 for so many years it just got you know frustrating and you know people would see on the preliminary list and say hey you're on the preliminary list I said yeah for the you know 25 in a row and you don't get you know you don't make it to the next level. So you start to get a little disappointed and think it's never going to happen. And then last couple of years with this, you know, the senior committee, you know, I think Dan, you know, Dan's done a remarkable job, a phenomenal job of kind of shepherding me through this process and putting it in front of people. And then I think, you know, his voice wasn't the only one. So a guy like Rick Gosselin said, you know, Hey, you need, there's all these all decade guys should be in the hall of fame or at least get their cases heard because until you get in the room, you you don't know whenever he even hears your case because it's just, you know, mail ballots and meetings. But until you can get a forum and get a platform in the committee, nobody knows what kind of impact you had. And I think that was a really important process of, of, of this you know, centennial class. A- absolutely. And, you know, I, I don't know exactly what it was, why you couldn't break through traditionally. I mean, Look, I, I know your career is a little bit shorter than, than some of the other guys who may have been left tackles for 14, 15 years. It wasn't Gail Sears, Terrell Davis, but do you think maybe the injuries and the shorter career mate was, was the reason for that? Well, I think I, I definitely think the shorter career was for a long period of time. Um, but then there was a little bit of a breakthrough when, you know, Dwight Stevenson made it, and then for a long time, nobody else. And then <clears throat> Kenny Easley, who's a first-team all-decade player in the eighties with me made it, um, as a short career. I think he's only played six or seven years. Um, and then Terrell uh, Davis. And then when that started happening, then I think, you know, I saw a little light at the end of the tunnel and so did Dan. And then, you know, a year ago, I think I was one of the finalists for the senior committee. Um, maybe not a finalist, but at least I was in the room, um, and being discussed. 
and um, didn't make it. That's when they nominated Johnny Robinson. So Dan felt like I had a little bit of momentum. And then with the dynamic and the um, makeup of the committee changed with, you know, having John Madden and Belichick and Dick LeBeau and Ozzie Newsome and, you know, changed, you know, Ron Wolf and Bill Pulley and it changed the dynamic in the room. And I think that's when I got maybe a little bit of an advantage. Absolutely. And, you know, moving off the process and and more on to your career. And I read Dan's uh, article in in the athletic and he kind of broke down you and Ed Sprinkle. And, and I always remember you having a lot of success against great players, but obviously I didn't, didn't have any numbers to back it up. And Dan, Dan had the stat. And like you said, until you're debated in the room, you know, you, you just don't know where you, where you stand with everyone. But when you throw out a stat in a room of knowledgeable football players that you only gave up four and a half sacks in 17 games against Hall of Fame pass rushers, that is a remarkable, remarkable statistic that you were able able to accomplish. Yeah, and I, I think maybe if I got a chance to to break it down on film, um, might even be less than that, I think. <laughs> because, because a lot of times... Um, you know, unless you watch the film, you just all you can rely on is going back into the old stat rooms that sure. they kept, right? So, so you know, if you're saying you're playing against a Hall of Fame pass rusher, you know, and he and you look on the stat sheet and it said he got a sack, he could have got a sack on the other side, or got a sack in the middle, or could have been a sack chasing a guy down from behind, you know, uh, out of the pocket, or you know, a garbage sack. So, I think it was maybe a little bit less than that. But I always played, felt like I played well in the competition was um, at its best. And I think that's what the expectation was. And I think in our offense, you know, I really didn't have a tight end next to me and I didn't have a back and back of me, uh, you know, giving me some protection or protecting the outside or whatever. And, and um, you know, our offense wasn't built that way, you know, so I, they would slide away from me and I had to, you know, block the best pass rushers of the day and I always felt I did a pretty good job. So I think that was good. And then I think just the impact you had on your team, you know, when I got there, the bears were, you know, in like 26 in total offensive yards gained in 82. And then we finished sixth in the league after the 83 season and went from 18th and rushing in 82 to first for four years in a row. And I think that had a big impact too, that showed that, uh, you know, they were to protect the passer there to, uh, you know, do a better job of uh, getting Walter Payton in his yards, and I think that opened some eyes. I, I love the confidence that it was even less than four and a half sacks. Let me let me do one more on the sacks <laughs> because uh, another one, and I remember the '85 playoff game well against the Giants, and 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 LT was a ghost, which is which is hard to imagine. But three games against Lawrence Taylor in your career, zero sacks, and obviously he's probably the greatest pass rusher the game has ever <laughs> seen. How did you have so much success against a guy like LT? Yeah, that's a good question. But I just think I matched up with him physically really well. And, um, you know, his style, I think, was, for me, was maybe a little bit easier than maybe some other guys. Um, you know, I, I when I played at Pitt, you know, I fought for Dan Marino, and we threw it, you know, 35, 40 times a game. And I was used to that. When I got to the Bears, it was – opposite of that you know so we really more ran than we than we passed so I really had to work on my fundamentals again on pass blocking and I had to because we just didn't do it as much as I did at the pit um and uh my line coach at Pitt Joe Moore was such a stickler for all that stuff so you know I really worked on it when we played great pass rushers like that I just think I matched up 
well against him and was able to do things against him. And, and plus, I think, you know, we went right at him as well. Like, we didn't shy away from that. We just said, okay, if he's going to – if we're going to get beat defensively, he's going to have to beat us, you know. And, and so if you go right at him and do some things, you know, I think that helped. But, I mean, he's, I think, the greatest defensive player that ever lived. And so when you can say you held him to, a, a you know, a game or three games with no sacks, that's an accomplishment. But, you know, like I said, I – uh, you know, for me, I just it was maybe tailor made for that, and um, and but I'm just fortunate that I was able to do that. If um, if I was to ask you about the Bears, the '80s Bears offensive line as a whole, you know, you always hear about the Hogs, you hear about that Raiders line in the '70s with Shell and and everyone, you hear about the Cowboys in the '90s. The the '80s Bears line to me was always a great line, really cohesive. Did did a, a great job. Gave McMahon time, opened it up, you know, for Peyton, which may have really kind of extended his career in his early '30s when a lot of running backs just can't do it anymore. Do you think? I think the Bears line in the '80s got a lot of credit, but I think it's kind of disappeared throughout the history. Do you think you were a part one of one of the great offensive lines? Absolutely. I think we were just as every bit as good as the Hogs or Electric Company or any of you know the, the Rams line or any of those lines. It's just in the Raiders lines, we just didn't get the recognition. And I really believe that it was because of the perception that you know in the '70s and you know early '80s the Bears lines weren't very good. And you know, at the end of the day, the running the only, the only way you're going to gain yards is you got to have a good offensive line. And Walter still got his share of yards, but you know, the perception was he did it all on his own and that's unfortunate. So I think that just carried over. And, uh, and as, like you said, I think we really did a good job of extending his career, but there was still that perception that it was a one man gang. And, um, and I think that's why even, you know, then the defense and we kind of got overshadowed by the defense and which is rightly so they were awesome. So, um, you know, I just think in instances like this, you know, I got I got in a process that I was able to, you know, people were able to see some impact, and I think that was, you know, on the team. I think that was one of the deciding factors, and um, I'm just hoping that our offensive line continues to get the respect because, you know, I mean, if you look at our line with Bortsy, and, I mean, he was a converted defensive player like I was, so, you know, our left side of our line was pretty aggressive. And then, I mean, Jay Hogenberg, the job that he's done, and, I mean, he's such a great player, and, and he was a free agent and worked himself into it and became one of the best centers in the league for a long period of time. And he definitely deserves recognition in the Hall of Fame, and you're hoping that's going to come someday. And maybe maybe this hopefully is a log jam that gets, you know, broken. And then Tom Thayer, you know, one of the strongest guys, and just a great – could run. And, I mean, he was a great pulling guard. And, you know, him and Kurt, you know, he replaced Kurt Becker when he got hurt. And I love, really like Beck because of the tempo he brought to the games. And then Keith Van Horn, I mean, I couldn't think of a better guy to, to play opposite of. And, I mean, played for so many years and was such a um, big influence on me. And uh, I just, um, I think the world of him. So you think about all of us together and been together for a long time, should have got that recognition and never did. And that, 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 that shouldn't be the case. Yeah, absolutely, and I'm with you. I hope I hope Hilgenberg gets some more recognition now in the senior committees, whatever it might be. Absolutely a, a deserving Hall of Famer as well. And and you mentioned something just there, which I didn't realize until I was doing a little homework and doing doing some background uh, on you at Pitt when when you were in college. You were a defensive player and made the switch after your freshman year, I believe it was, to the offensive side of the ball. What what was the process like? What was the decision like to to switch you and and, and how? quickly and comfortably were you able to, to pick up offense in college? 
Well, that's a great, that's, that's a great question. Uh, Jimmy Johnson recruited me, and um, I was there to play defense, and that's what I did my my, uh, my my freshman year. And I felt in training camp and in other places, you know, I felt I played well enough and beat out the starters. Felt I should have started as a freshman, and and um, and I didn't. You know, I I was backup my that whole season. I was pretty disappointed, and and then I came back as a sophomore and. Um, you know, did the same thing in camp and, you know, basically played most of the camp because the guy that I played behind, uh, there were three sophomores. And, um, you know, so that means, you know, the only time I would ever going to be starting if I stayed behind them was my senior year at Pitt, and that wasn't going to work for me. So um, then I got hurt my sophomore year and got redshirt. And so when I came back, I kind of went and played defensive line again. And then uh, Coach Cheryl came to me and Joe Moore, the offensive line coach that the uh, was there wanted to switch me over because we had a guy named Bob Gruber who came and played. He was um, he got drafted by the Rams and went there and it was a void at left tackle and they moved me over and the rest is history. So I mean I I was really fortunate. Um, I had an opportunity and I did. And then Joe Moore, who my line coach after my first practice in offensive line um, in that spring in 1980, said to me, "You're gonna be an All-American someday." And, uh, you know, he could have said anything else to me. When he said that, um, you know, I'd run through a brick wall for the guy and just learn so much from him. And that's the reason that I was a player I was and got drafted that high and uh, really fortunate. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's fascinating, the, the, the process going, going through that. Let, let, me, let me ask you one about, about Jim McMahon, who obviously was a pro bowler in 85 when you guys had, had the phenomenal season. Was a very good quarterback, but you know he had injuries his in in his own right that 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 kind of held him back some, and he kind of gets lost. Everyone knows McMahon the personality, but McMahon the quarterback kind of gets lost. You you consider him underrated in that era? Absolutely. I mean, he I'm a huge Jim McMahon fan, and he's I think the the, the absolute smartest guy I ever played with, and but he just couldn't stay healthy. And you know, I always think back on those Forty Nine er teams in the 80s you know when the early on Montana would scramble a little bit but then I think you know towards the mid 80s when a, you know he saw a sack coming he just hit the deck you know let's let the fight another day give up the sack well Mac wasn't like that you know he tried to break out I could split this guy I can make it to the sidelines I can make a throw make a play and you didn't want him to give up that aggressiveness but you also want him to stay healthy and I just wish he could have stayed healthy. He wasn't a big guy, you know. I mean, he was 185 pounds, so it wasn't like Dan Marino at six four, two forty. So I mean, he he was more a little bit more fragile. Um, and I wish he could have uh, stayed healthy because if he did, I think we won a couple Super Bowls, no problem, maybe even three. But you know, you look back on that and say that was that was really the key, and we just didn't have stability at that position because of his injuries. But we sure thought the world of him. I still do. Yeah, and you, you say you thought the world of him, and and I always think that the quarterback offensive line relationship is 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 fascinating. And I, I remember when the Bears drafted Cade McNown, how toxic the relationship was with the offensive line. But you hear so many things about McMahon. You know, he always let the offensive lineman spike the ball after a touchdown. And I, I you hear stories about steak dinners without without sacks, and and and, and you know all, all all these things. Like he really took care of of that of that line up front, didn't he? Yeah, he did, but you know, we we took care of him as well. But we, you know, we started the kind of tradition of going out to dinner on Thursday nights, and uh, then you know, of course, our first after our offensive line, the first invitee is our quarterback, and then um, 
he was always with us on Thursday nights and we bonded and continued to do that. And, you know, we, you know, we, we would do anything to keep people off our quarterback and that's the relationship we have with him. So, I mean, I just, uh, like I said, I just wish he could have stayed healthy because I think he's a great quarterback and maybe didn't have the best arm, but had the best mind and was smarter than the guys on the other side. And the defenses were difficult to disguise. So, I mean, yeah, that's one of my regrets I had in my career because I just think that he uh, meant the world to our offense. And uh, when he got hurt, it really set us back. It, it, it really did. And you, you know, let, let me ask you a couple more here before I let you go. And you kind of talked about how you'd do anything to keep um, guys off your, your quarterback. And, and let me let me bring that to the, the rivalry of the Green Bay Packers, which I think has evolved a lot over the years. And I think it's definitely very different now, especially the fact that the Packers with Favre and Rodgers have really – dominated the 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 rivalry here for the last 20 30 years but in the 80s i mean there was there was a lot of aggressive and, and dirty play and the, the harris hit on on mcmahon which like you said may have cost the team a super bowl that one what was the rivalry with the packers something that you looked forward to at that point or was it more something that just pissed you off well, I think at the beginning, there was always that rivalry there when I first got there on Packer Week. <clears throat> you could just tell, excuse me, that the, the, the you know tempo got you know, was higher and people were upset and, um, you know, on edge and uh, practices were pretty enthusiastic and uh, you could tell that. And then <clears throat> I think in 85, when we went out there, they delivered a bag of horseman order to our locker room, put it in McMahon's locker. That's what they thought about us, the whole locker room smell when we came in. So, um, you know, we said, okay, that's how they want to play. And it was a really physical game. And I thought, you know, bordering dirty play on backer side. And I think that ignited the rivalry between Dick and, and um, Forrest Gregg. And then it just escalated from there, you know, all resulting in this Charles Martin hit, which, you know, it was terrible. And, um, you know, I think if that doesn't happen, we have another great chance to repeat that year. And, uh, just you know um wasn't going to happen because of that and that's unfortunate yeah it really was i think i said charles harris charles martin charles harris uh, the right. offensive lineman now or defensive lineman now um so l- let me ask you about the 85 bears obviously you know a lot of t- people still consider it the greatest single season team of all time but you know you kind of talk about how practices get kind of you know for packers week and everything but you, you hear a lot and now that we've done some documentaries and 30 for 30 on that that team the rivalry between the offense and the defense was 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 that something that was really there in those practices that you guys you just you know you were lining up against against you know buddy's defense and even in practice you guys really wanted to to take it to him and prove that this wasn't just a defensive team absolutely i mean it was when i first got there you know, the defense kind of was the kings of practice and, you know, it was different because when I was at Pitt, it was the opposite of that. You know, offensive line kind of controlled the tempo. And when I got to the Bears, it was opposite. So my first couple of years, you know, I just wasn't used to that. So I was like, you know, pro- probably got more scuffles than, than I should have, or but I did. And I just wanted to make sure that people understood that they weren't going to push us around and they weren't going to, they weren't going to uh, control the tempo of the practice. It was the offensive line that was going to do that. And uh, that's a battle because those guys were so great. So that's what I tried to do. And I tried to just, you know, make sure that from my perspective that they knew we weren't going to back down off of anything like that. But that, that, I mean, that made us better. I mean, that, that tension made us better and it fueled a lot of aggression on our team. And uh, I think, uh, you know, you weren't going to face any better tempo or players on Sunday. So 
made us such a better team together because of that. Let, let me ask you one more, and, and, and we'll, we'll, we'll take it away from your career and ask you to put on your, your analyst hat for a minute because uh, the, the current Bear sitting at left tackle, Charles Leno, he gets a lot of criticism, especially from fans, and he had a lot of penalties this season early on. But I think he's also a guy who's really grown over the years into that position and has done really well at, at times as, as, as well. So when you get a chance to watch the Bears, I'm sure you kind of keep an eye on the offensive line. How do you think of, of Charles Leno's performances? I think Charles Leno's a great left tackle. I just think he had a few issues this year with penalties, which you have to correct. I mean, he knows that better than anybody else. Um, and, uh, you know, once he gets that corrected, I don't see any real issues with his game. And the reason I say that is because he's got great feet. He's got great hands. He does a nice job on run blocking and pass blocking. I mean, I'll take him as my left tackle anytime. Right. And, um, but you know, the penalties are just, they're unforgivable. You got to correct those. Everybody knows that he knows that. I think once that happens, I mean, He's he's going to be around for a long time, so I don't have a problem with that uh, position. I don't think the Bears have a problem with that position. You know, maybe it wasn't the best, um, uh, you know, uh, year last year for penalties and things like that. But at the end of the day, he'll correct it and come back strong. Yeah, I I, I agree. I'm a, I'm a supporter supporter of his. And and one more on, on offensive lineman Kyle Long. You know, ha- had some injuries that short shortened his career there, but but a, a great Chicago Bear did whatever he needed. He bounced out to right tackle for his season. You know, L- Long was really a, a great anchor on an offensive line, wasn't he? Oh yeah, Kyle Long is a <clears throat> great football player. And it's sad to see, you know, it, you know, I think I read something. He made a comment that the guy he saw on film wasn't the same guy. He didn't recognize him. So it's time to quit then. And, and his, uh, you know, he got beat up physically and, you know, I understand I'm empathetic with that because I had the same thing. And when you don't feel like you can do the things you did before physically on the field, it's time to move forward. And I think that's what, uh, that's what he did. So I wish him all the luck in the world and I wish he could play longer because tough guy, uh, aggressive, fun to watch. Uh, great, great, guard, a great guard, great guard to watch. And, uh, Really enjoyed watching him play. Sad to see him go, but uh, he's a good man, and um, he'll 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 do well. Def- definitely sad to see him go. But what is not sad is Jimbo Covert, Hall of Fame member in, in this class. Congratulations, well deserved, long overdue. Thank you for so much time, and uh, and best of luck. Enjoy that uh, enjoy that induction here this summer. You got it, Bill. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on. All right, there he is, Jimbo Covert, the newest member of the hall of fame and really long, long overdue. He was so good. I mean, just think about the fact that he shut down Lawrence Taylor, just shut him down. The greatest pass rusher. He said it, the greatest defensive player he thinks in the history of the sport, he did nothing against the bears. As long as Jim Covert was sitting there at left tackle and blocking him. That is a truly remarkable feat. So let's actually squeeze in another break here. And when we get back on the other side, Riley Riddy, Riley Ridley, ready to join us. He's doing some great things with Panini. We'll talk to him about that in his rookie season. This is Bears Banter. We'll be right back. All right. Welcome back to Bears Banter. And just had a great conversation with Jimbo Covert, expecting to have another great conversation with Riley Ridley, the Georgia star, now Bears, I guess no longer rookie. I guess it's his now entering his second year in the league, doing some great things with Panini. We'll talk to him about that and talk to him about everything from this past season. Riley, Bill Zimmerman, thanks so much for joining me. How are you? 
I'm doing great. Good to have you on the podcast. And let's start with uh, with Panini here. I know you're doing some work with Panini. You're working on, right. you know, helping people transfer from college into the pros and kind of getting used to that. But what are you doing with Panini right now? Right now I'm just uh, expanding myself, uh, getting to know and getting to meet a lot of people, uh, signing cards, and, you know, just broadcasting and just having a good time. Very cool. And, and, and Panini America does a lot of things, work with a lot of athletes, a lot of good things here. So, right, right, right. But, you know, let, let me ask you this, because this, this, this is something. You're an SEC guy, of course, uh, coming from Georgia here. Joe Burrow, I'm sure you watched the national championship game. <laughs> right, you, right, you, yes. you went up against this guy, you know, obviously not directly. You're not a defensive player. But I, I know LSU beat you, but Bur- Burrow was pretty good. And now this right. past season, he, he's turned into Peyton Manning. I mean, have you seen right. any ever seen someone grow like this in one season? Uh, uh, I think he played really good against us last year. Uh, I think he uh, took what he was doing last year and he just carried it over to this year. Uh, he did a phenomenal job leading LSU into the national championship and winning that game. So uh, I took my hat to him. Yeah, he he's had an excellent season. I mean, going from a mid round pick to the number one pick is is impressive. Right, but right. what what about your your guy that you played with uh, your last year, Georgia Jake Fromm? You know, he's going to be entering the the NFL draft this year. Right. Uh, how, how do you think Jake's going to do at the next level? I think Jake is a, uh, uh, an NFL caliber quarterback. Uh, he's very smart. Uh, he knows exactly what you know to do and what's asked of him. And uh, he's going to do his job. So I think Jake will be a good addition to the NFL. Yeah, I mean he's he's definitely he's a solid pro and a, a sol- solid quarterback. You know what 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 would you think? You know between uh, between yourself and Wims and Floyd and 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 Smith. What if uh, what if Jake Fromm was donning a, a Bears jersey? I guess Pace likes those Georgia guys. Yeah, it's a bear party down. There. I mean it's a it's a dog party down there. Uh, we always tell coach whenever we see a new dog come in, man, that it's a dog party. But uh, you know it'll be a good addition. But uh, you know our team is gonna do what they're gonna do. And uh, I just wish the best of luck for Jake in the NFL. Yeah, a- a- absolutely. And let, let's talk about you in the NFL. What what was it like for you transitioning from, from you know, look, SEC, I think everyone will say that's as close to the NFL as possible, but we still know how fast, much faster the NFL game and it is right, and everything. Right, right. How, how was your transition going from college to the pros? Uh, my transition was, uh, it was great. Uh, it wasn't as, as what I wanted it to be, but, you know, sometimes you have to sit back. That's what the game does to you. It sits you down. And just, to, you know, just for appreciation. Uh, but I had a phenomenal year uh, just learning from the older guys, uh, just being a student of the game, you know, just having a good time. Well, and, and you said it, it wasn't exactly what you wanted, and I'm guessing that was because you wanted to be on the field more. You were inactive a lot of games early on before getting your right. chance. What what, right. what was it like learning, and, and uh, were you frustrated there, not not seeing uh, games on Sunday, you know, for that first good, you know, half, you know, three-quarters of the season? You know, that's the thing. Uh, uh, coming in early, I was really – I was frustrated at times. But, you know, you got to believe that your coach has his best – that your best hand at, at interest. And, uh, you know, I, I really believe that he did. Uh, so, you know, I got I got to do what I got to do. I got to show up. I got to work. I got to, you know, make guys better around me. Uh, but uh, as far as that, you know, um, I really enjoyed it. And, I, and I'm, I'm really, really thankful for, you know, the Chicago Bears for accepting me and, uh, you know, just treating me as their own. What, what was it like working with Coach Fury, the wide receiver coach? You know, Allen Robinson had a great season. We really saw Anthony Miller improve right. there, and had, he had a great second half. What did you learn from, from Mike Fury, and, and, and are, how excited are you to, look, to work with him another season? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very excited to work with Coach uh, Fury uh, next season. Uh, coach Fury is a, a very, uh, not emotional, but he's very passionate. 
about his guys and he's very passionate about football. And that's one of the things that I can say that, uh, you know, I like about him. Uh, he's a very fired up guy and, and he loves the game. All right. And what what about Nagy's offense? Because we keep hearing a lot about how complicated it is and, and it's a system that's difficult to pick up. Did did you have any, any issues picking up the system? I mean, a lot of people say when it's humming, it's as, it's as good as any offense in the league. Uh, I think uh, if, you, if you study really hard, you can pick up any offense. Uh, but as far as, you know, Coach Nagy's offense and the offense that the Chicago Bears, you know, got going, that's all I have. I, I don't really have any, you know, any little sneak peeks or anything like that. I, I believe that if you take your time out and study the playbook, you can you'll you'll learn any offense. Gotcha. And 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 Nagy's playbook. I mean, I know this might be a little bit of an insider question, but I, I we know how important crisp routes are. We know you're you're a good route runner. I mean, do you do you have a lot of options with those routes when you know depending on the play, depending on the defensive formations, or is it more kind of straightforward and you know exactly what you're doing? You know when you break the huddle. Yeah, as far as that goes, uh, we're not going to really – I don't really want to give too much, you know what I mean? But it's, uh, the offense is very versatile for each and every player, and we, we just – we have a lot of fun with it. Well, I know it can be it can be a lot of fun. We've we've seen that with Nagy with some of those some of those fun plays. What what about what about as a as a blocker? I mean that that's something that's important to receivers. You don't hear people talk about it that much. I know I know that's it's a big change from college to the pros, right. especially you know with, with right. those with those screen passes and outside runs right. and everything. What'd you learn this season right. as a blocker? Well, you know in the NFL the running backs are a little they 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 you know this deal. And uh, you never know when they're going to go down. You never know when they're going to cut back. And you don't want to, you know, you don't want your guy to be the guy to make the play. So you always want to stay on your guy. You always want to secure your block. And, uh, you know, just, you know, do what you got to do for others on the team. And uh, let, let me ask you just uh, one more thing here. Going into season two here, we got some changes along the offensive with the coaches. I, I know you probably haven't had a chance to meet with them or anything, so I, I won't ask you about that. But, look, this is a business you know, the Bears are going to have to make some tough choices. If, you know, if someone right. like Taylor Gabriel is, is let go and there's more opportunities for you and, and maybe Javon Wims at the receiver spot, are, are you guys going to be ready to, to step it up and, and get going next season? Uh, I believe uh, no matter what it is, uh, once my uh, once my numbers call, uh, I'll be ready to go to perform for my team. Uh, but as far as, you know, someone getting cut in, I don't really, you know, I don't know. Oh yeah, I mean, I'm not. I'm not asking. I'm just. I'm just talking about. You know, you never. You never know what's going to happen. You got to always be ready for right, those right, opportunities. Right. So that's true. That's true. You got to be ready for your opportunities because they can come at any time. A absolutely. So, so Riley, you, you know, you're work. You're working with Panini. I know that's the exclusive uh, trading card yes, partner sir. of the NFL, NFLPA. Yes, You've been sir. signing autographs, doing doing a lot of yes, good sir. things with with Panini. So, uh, yep. thank thanks so much for joining the podcast. Uh, congratulations on a good rookie season, and, and Bears fans everywhere will be, will be looking for you to explode next year. Thank you for having me and Bear Down. All right, there he is, Riley Ridley. And I, and I do think he's going to have an opportunity next season to really start seeing the field. We saw him getting some opportunities at the end of the year. Of course, we haven't really heard exactly what the reasoning was on why it took him so long to get on the field, whether that be that he wasn't really going to be able to contribute on special teams, whether it would be he was still picking up the playbook, whatever it might be. It did take him a while to get there, but we did see some flashes there at the, the end of the season. So, so that's good to see. You know, the Bears are going to have to make some salary cap decisions. Taylor Gabriel is probably the most obvious. 
being the fact that Wims and Ridley have, have shown some, some talent there. You know you're going to have Robinson, and you know you're going to have Miller at the top of the, the receiver spot. You know Tariq Cohen is going to be out there at wide receiver a little bit as well, Corderell Patterson. But the Bears are going to need some consistent snaps from either Ridley or Wims. I think it's probably going to be Ridley. Both those guys need to improve their pass blocking as well. That's going to be key. I know we want to focus on the offensive line, which is obviously the most important thing, but if the Bears are going to start springing some long runs on sweeps and really on some of those screens out to the outside of the field, those wide receivers really need to hold their blocks. So that's going to be something to look for this offseason into the training camp and preseason and into, obviously, the start of the 2020 season is how well Fury gets those uh, – those wide receivers to block this season. So that's going to do it for Bears banter. We will be back soon, probably next week, with Adam Rank uh, from NFL Network, big Chicago Bears fan. We'll talk to him about what the Bears have done to the coaching staff so far this season and what the Bears should do in free agency. And obviously we'll focus on the quarterback position because we always do. So we'll do that on the next Bears banter podcast. This is Bill Zimmerman. Bear down, everybody. We'll talk to you soon. Adios.